going on? Um, we are starting a new series. We're going to dive right in today. It's called Goliath. And I'm so excited because um, it was kind of neat for me this week. We were trying to think about what kind of an image we could use as a background thing. And somebody just suggested that I take off my shirt and take a picture. So um, it was great. And I know the delts are a dead giveaway on me. Uh, I don't know why you're laughing, by the way. But So do you guys know the David and Goliath story? You, you know this, um, some of you guys do, some of you guys maybe have read it in the Bible, some of you have not, never read it before, and it's a classic underdog story. It's a classic story of like the little guy who comes and he beats the big guy, and uh, you know, it's in the popular culture, so even if you hadn't read it in the Bible, you've, you've heard this, you, you get the reference of what's going on here. Um, so you know, even uh, Malcolm Gladwell, guy who's wrote The Tipping Point, some of the stuff that maybe you guys have seen before, a book, he wrote a book called David and Goliath, that's kind of a fun read. And so it's, it's definitely in the culture. So I was thinking about, well, how do we start this series, you know? And I want you to think for a second like you're me. If you're going to do something about David and Goliath, think for a second, oh, okay, what would be a good story about that? Well, my mind immediately went toward, uh, you know, the kind of immediate thing of like, well, let's talk for a few weeks about how we all face giants. How are we going to defeat those giants with God's help? And so I, you know... I was thinking about that. I had that all figured out. I was ready to do that today. I had, th- I had thought about going down to Pioneer and buying a thousand rocks, and we were going to come, and you were going to come out here at the end, and you were going to grab a rock at the end, write your giant on it, take it home, throw it through your neighbor's window or something, and you know something fun like that. And uh, I had it all figured out, and then I uh, and then I actually read the story, and I went, ah, there's a step before that. Yes, we are, we are going to talk about those giants in our lives, the ones that present themselves every day, the big ones and the small ones. But I think there's a step before that because as I read the story, I started thinking to myself, gosh, I'm not even sure that I'm the kind of person that would want to pick up the rock. Like, I'm not even sure that I'm the kind of person that is, is willing and able and has the character that's been like formed in me to fight the giants that present themselves in my life. Today I want to back up a little bit. Here's the deal. Whenever we start a new series, and if you're new, I think we want you to know this, um, we always, what we will run through on these series will always come out of the scripture. We will always look at the Bible. We believe God transforms people's hearts when the, God's spirit grabs you. And one of the ways he does that is through his word, the scripture. And so we're, we're going to do that every time. And then we make a promise to you every time that we'll start a series. The next three weeks, um, we will look at the scripture. This will be practical stuff that I think this will be worth your time these next three weeks to dive into this. Because we will always look at this from the standpoint of how does this change my heart and who I am in the world? Not Bible trivia. And so that's, that's how we approach these series. And so I think these three weeks are going to be really good ones that are going to be worth your time. But I want us to start by looking at this story, and I want you to notice something in it. I want to point something out to you. Because I'm wondering a little bit about myself, if I'm the kind of person that would even pick up a rock to fight my giant in the first place. Uh, so I'm not going to read you the whole story. I want you to read some of it on your own, check it out, but I am going to give you some parts of it, and we'll get to the whole story here in the next few weeks, but uh, I want you to notice something about the part I'm going to read to you today. So the background is, uh, we're talking about ancient Israel, 
We're talking about Saul, who was their king, and they kind of had this little nemesis people called the Philistines that they would fight against all the time. And, and the point of this series is not, you know, there's an interesting question to be had when you read stuff like this about like, man, it seems the Old Testament seems so violent, so much violence. In the, does God like endorse that? Because it sure seems like sometimes he does. Great question. We're just not dealing with that in this series, okay? So, but what we're looking at is the Israelites against the Philistines, and, uh, and you're going to see what happens here and how I think it will speak directly, at least it did to me, on who I am and who you are. So here's what happens. Uh, this is from 1 Samuel 17. That's the book of the Bible, book of the Old Testament it's in. 1 Samuel 17. It says, the Philistines now mustered their army. Philistines are the bad guys. Now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sukkot in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Practice that all week. Um, Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Allah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Big army over here, big army over here, big valley in between, and they're, you know, grunting and raising their spears and all that stuff between the two. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. And if you're, if you're one of those people who's looking for Bible errors, just get over it. He was big, okay? Like whatever you want to say. Don't get caught up on his size. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. This is a big dude. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, whatever that is, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. All right, that, even his spearhead is 15 pounds. His armor bearer uh, walked ahead of him carrying a shield. This is a giant guy. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. So here's what you got to know about some of these ancient battles. Um, you've seen how these go when you get big big armies that fight each other. And depending on your generation, either Game of Thrones or Braveheart, you see what happens when these two big armies fight each other. Everybody gets wiped out and dies except for a few. And so part of the idea here is let's cut through all that. And instead, let's have one guy, our, we'll send our best guy, you send your best guy, and let's see what happens. And so Goliath is going to propose that. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. And I feel so funny just reading this in a normal voice because for years I read this out of the Jesus Storybook Bible to my kids, and it was more like this, choose one man to come down here and fight me, you know? My kids love that, so it feels weird when I don't read it like that. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. Here's the deal. You kill me, we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Oh, I love it. So here's this guy who comes out, this giant, presents himself, boom. I want you to notice this next passage. I want you to notice how the people respond when presented with Goliath. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified, and they were deeply shaken. Guys, how much are we, when we are presented with the Goliath in our lives, whether big or small, how much do we 
quickly go to exactly what's going on here on the opposite side of this hill. You see those words? When presented with Goliath, the Israelites were terrified and they were deeply shaken. That's the reflexive response that they have. When Goliath shows up in their lives, they're not looking for a rock, they're not looking for their sword, they're not looking for a spear. They are terrified and they're deeply shaken. That is how they are trained to respond, somehow. And not just once. Look at this next passage, this next verse. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted. The arrogance in that word I love. He struts in front of the Israelite army 40 days. So meanwhile, so this is going on. Just picture this for 40 days. And the people are terrified. Meanwhile, there's this guy named David. And David, uh, you know, despite the veggie tail, is not this little tiny thing that talks in a mouse voice. David actually has some promise. David's a young guy, but he's shown himself very capable. He's in Saul's army part-time. He tends sheep part-time. He's been known when the sheep are attacked by a wild animal to, like, like he'll kill the animal. Like, this guy, he's, there's, he's an up-and-comer. Impressiveness about David. He's not just the itty-bitty little thing that you see in some of the stories around this. But he certainly is overmatched by this giant Goliath. Now, David has some brothers. In fact, he's the youngest of eight brothers. What would that do to you? And so he, he shows up because some of his brothers are in the army. And David shows up one day with these two armies lined up on opposite sides of the hill. And David shows up and he's having a conversation with his brothers. He's come for a visit. And, and look what happens. It says this. It says, as he was talking with them... Uh, as David was talking with his brothers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. So David hears it, right? Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. He does this big thing on the hillside, voice echoing through the valley. Now, what I want you to notice is this. I want you to notice how David responds when, when David is presented with the Goliath in his life, look at what happens. Look how he responds. This is uh, verse 32. David says, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. I'm in. Count me in. Isn't that interesting? That you could have 99.9% of the people day after day hearing this guy with his taunts and be terrified. But this guy, one guy, shows up. And he's, not, he's not like his physical equal. He's not Goliath's, you know, match physically. But he shows up in his reflexive response. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to hear it 40 times. The first time I hear it, my response is, I'm going to the king, King Saul, and saying, don't worry about it. I got it. Guys, what is it about David that he would reflexively respond to Goliath in that way? What is it about us? Have we been shaped into the kind of people over time that will respond to the Goliath that presents himself to you 
itself to you? Have we been shaped into the kind of people that will respond to him or not? The only reason I, where I went here is just stuff that's gone on these last two weeks that have made me think, I'm not. I'm not convinced that God has built in me the kind of character, has built in me the kind of, to make me the kind of person that over time I will reflexively respond to the Goliaths that show up in my life every day in a way like you see in this passage. I want to so badly think of myself as I'm not the guy on the other hillside that's like cowering in fear, but I wonder if I am. I don't know that God has shaped in me that character that David had that made him respond right away. Um, something happened a couple weeks ago that made me think about this. Uh, I, a couple weeks ago, I had to go to California for a week-long class that I had to take, and I wasn't really happy about it. Uh, but, because I don't like leaving Karen and the boys, however, uh, I kind of love the fact that I can wake up in the morning and I can do what I want. Um, so I don't have to fix anybody breakfast. I don't have to like remind them about homework. I don't have to drive them to school. I can just get up, I can read, I can go for a run. So every day at class, I was getting up and I'm out for a run and it was awesome. So I'm running, it was uh, near San Jose, California. And I went out every morning and I ran up to this little thing called the Eagles Point at this camp that I was staying at. And Eagles Point looks out over Santa Cruz, and uh, there's a Santa Cruz Bay. Oh, so cool. And the sun's coming up. And so I'm doing this every morning, and I go back. So the last morning, it's Friday morning, I get up, I go out, I'm, I'm doing my thing, and I come back down to uh, the lodge where I'm staying, and I try the door, and the exterior door to the lodge is locked. Well, it hadn't been locked all week, and... Here's the problem. It's 7.45. Uh, I got to eat breakfast at 8 o'clock. Uh, I got an 8.15 call with Becky to talk about her maternity leave. And I got a 9 o'clock class that starts. I got a shower. I got to do all this stuff. And I got to do it fast. And I, here I am locked out. And I'm mad. So, because this door wasn't locked all week. So I start running around the building. And I'm testing every door. All of them are locked. I get back out to the front of the building. Nothing's changed except... A woman has come out, and she is putting uh, something in her car. And her plan was to put whatever this was in her car, and then she's going to go right back in the building. And if I had just sat there and not been proactive and tried the other doors, I could have gotten in the building. But I didn't. So now, guess what? We're both locked out. So she comes back. She's like, oh, the door's locked. I mean, like, yeah, the door's locked. So we're sitting there looking at each other, talking. And uh, she goes, finally, she goes, oh, you know what? Silly me. I know somebody in uh, the lodge, and I have their cell phone number. I'll just text them and see if they can come out and let us in. Sure enough, she gets on the phone. She texts this person who's in the lodge, and they get it. Awesome. This woman comes to the door, lets us in, and we get in, and happily ever after, everybody's happy, right? So I walk down to my little hall, and I'm trying my door, and the key, you know, works great. I got my key. I walk right in. What happened was so interesting. I open my door to my room, and I open and push it open a little ways. And as I'm stepping into my room, I hear something kind of peripherally down the hallway. And it's the woman who came out and let us in. And all I hear is, oh, no. And I'm kind of like into my room, because remember, I'm in a hurry. 
I'm into my room and I hear her say, now I'm locked out. Turns out she had, uh, in her haste to come help us, she had left her room key in her room. And so she let us in the exterior door, but now she's locked out of her room. So uh, being the hero that I am, um, I am halfway into my room. What am I supposed to do at this point? Well, I'll tell you what I did. I kind of just kept going. Um, so I just thought, man, I'm in a hurry. So I went, I went into my room. I quickly got in the shower. I showered up. I changed. I did it all in like 10 minutes. And then I came back out of the room, and I looked down the hall, and she was sitting outside her door, uh, still locked out. And I kind of came up and, like, in a way, pretended like I didn't know what actually happened, even though I did. And said, hey, what happened? And she's, oh, I'm locked out of my room. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she said, yeah, I just called somebody to come and help. Oh, I'm really glad. See you later. Um, some of you right now are thinking, um, how long do I have to find a new church? Um, <laughs> so the answer is seven days. Uh, you, you know, Sunday's always coming. You got seven days. Um, gosh. I just, I think it's um, in the moment. How do you respond? And I, I, I'm, I'm going off down to my little class, and I just, it just hit me like, you, <laughs> what are you doing? The bottom line is I'm not sure that God has formed in me the kind of character that would respond heroically in the moment to a need like that. That's just a little example. But I just, I, I spent that day just going, what, what was that about? Why wouldn't I, even if I couldn't have helped her, how can I sit with somebody who's helped me and then I pretend like they don't need it in return? I'm not the kind of guy, am I the kind of guy that would pick up a rock, fight the giant? You know, I was talking to um, Chris Sturgeon this week around here on our staff. We had this interesting conversation where I was telling him about some of the stuff that was just spinning in me. And I said to him, you know, sometimes you hear the phrase, uh, you are who you are when you're all alone. So if you want to know who you are, just wait till no one's looking and you'll know who you are. And that may be true. But I wonder for me, and I, maybe I wonder for some of us in this room, if the truth is you, you, you are who you are when you're caught off guard. You want to know what kind of character God has built in you and who you really are? Wait till the Goliath shows up when you're not expecting him. You know, I, I, I hop in the shower. That's my version of terrified and deeply shaken. It's not my version of I'll go, I'll help, I'm in. Man, I want to be the kind of person that would reflexively respond, not out of willpower, but because God has created me to be the kind of person over time that would help someone like that. You ever, you ever seen a house that's getting worked on, like a big house that maybe somebody's painting? Uh, what do they do first? If you've got a big building that you're going to paint or you're going to work on, what do you do? You don't just grab a paintbrush. 
you might have to spend a day or longer building scaffolding. You've seen this, right? They start to build these little platforms outside the building and you walk up on the platforms and now you can paint. And, but the, the scaffolding that you build is so critical to what you're supposed to be doing. I wonder sometimes, are we spending the time that we need to build the scaffolding in our kind of souls on who we are? Are we being formed in a way that when the giant calls out to us, that scaffolding is there and we're ready to say yes? I wrote down a few things this week. I just thought, man, I, I, want, I want to be the kind of person that God has built the scaffolding in me that I'm not going to yell at my kids. Uh, I, I, when I'm tempted to get impatient with them, can I, has God built in me the kind of person that I have patience? Uh, for us, is that true? Are we the kind of people that, you know, you're on a walk and somebody's got a flat tire. Has, has God, like, built in us the scaffolding, regardless of how busy you are, to have compassion to stop? Has God built in us the compassion, the kind of, has God made us the kind of people, this, this will hike it up a little bit, in an intimate relationship with someone else, has God built the kind of scaffolding in you that would not go too fast too soon sexually? Has God built that kind of scaffolding in you? Guys, that's important scaffolding because that, that's a decision that you don't want to be caught off guard on. No one is happy with that decision if it's made in the moment. That's the decision that gets made beforehand. And that happens, I think, with God building that in us. Am I, am I, are we the kind of people that when presented the opportunity around pornography, that we would say, you know what, actually, that I know is not ultimately going to be good for my relationships and also kind of is not very uh, complimentary of women, usually women. But God's built the kind of scaffolding in us that says, you know what, I'm going to move away from that. Has God built in us the kind of scaffolding that goes, man, I want to actually love and serve my wife, even if she's making me mad. I want to love and serve my coworker or that person in my dorm or uh, in my class, even though I don't like them. Has God built that kind of scaffolding inside of me over time? It cannot happen in the moment. It has to be over time that God does this in us where we can actually respond reflexively to that person with some kind of love? Has God done the kind of scaffolding in me that when I hear about, you know, the toy drive or I have a dream and tutoring kids that need help getting to college, has God built the kind of scaffolding in me of compassion around that? Uh, it was interesting at that camp, uh, I took, as part of the class, I had to take the Enneagram. I know some of you are familiar with it. It's a personality testing thing. And so I took the Enneagram, and you had to meet with a, a counselor about it. And uh, I, I met with a counselor. Counselor tells me my number, my wing number. And, you know, if you know the Enneagram, you know some of this. And then he goes, and you've got the lowest, one of the lowest numbers I've ever seen on the compassion scale. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> yeah, you're at 2%, man. Uh, all right, back off, man. You're not showing a lot of compassion right now for me. Um, so I got stuff to work on. 
I, I want God to build that scaffolding inside my soul. Where, where is it, right, for you that you go, man, you're going to be presented with Goliath today. Has God built in you that, have you, what have you done with Jesus to be the kind of person that's going to respond the way that you should? David, my point here, David, David didn't say I'm in in the moment. David was somebody that had been shaped over time. And I, you, you look no further than if you read some of the Psalms. You never read the Psalms. You had to read some of them. Uh, look no further than the Psalms for evidence of this. A lot of the Psalms are actually written by David. It's the best we know. They say on their, you know, Psalm of David. Here's, here's one that is mind-blowing if, if you get your head around this. Here's what he says in Psalm 139. David writes this. says, uh, says search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Saying, yes, I will fight Goliath, pales in comparison to the bravery it takes to write those words down and mean them. He was ready to say yes to whatever Goliath presented himself. I think because this guy had walked along with God and was willing to pray prayers like that. I'll tell you what, you, you pray that prayer, you, you, you spend some time praying that prayer for this next month or something like that, whew, you can't help but be a different person. David had developed the scaffolding in his life with God that reflexively led to, in the moment when caught off guard, a giant... He's able to say, I'm in. I'm willing to fight. What I think David does so well, and here I want to I give you some practical thoughts today. I'm going to give you four things uh, that I, I'm going to throw at you and say, try this this month. Before I do that, what I think David did so well that prepared him for the moment, for the giant, he was a guy that reflected this is a guy, and, and this is, I'm telling you, this is where this starts. You want to be the kind of person that can respond and pick up a rock. I absolutely think it starts with some sort of regular, I'm not saying daily because everybody's different. It starts with some sort of regular reflection with God on who you are and where we need to change. That's the heart of that passage that David just did. That's what made him ready to pick up the rock. And guys, that's where we want to move today. So I want to, I want to give you some practical thoughts. But let me tee it off. I'll tell you another quick story. Um, this, this is what made me think about this uh, first idea. So a couple weeks, it was two weeks ago today, I was getting ready to go on that trip to California. And uh, what happened that day was it was Sunday morning. And my routine on Sunday morning is I got to get in here usually around 6.30 or so. And we get ready for the service. And then, uh, you know, after the 1020 service here, I'm usually around till 1230 or 1, just talking, hanging out, picking up stuff. And then I'll leave at like 1 o'clock. So, but two weeks ago, we had this great idea that we would leave the service, our family, and we would drive directly to South Denver down to Ikea. And so, we got on I-25, we go down to Ikea, I'm leaving the next day for 
this camp, so I'm going to be gone all week, so I can feel, those of you know, if you've got a travel over, you know the, like, eh, the feeling around that, and, you know, even, like, feeling of, like, I'm going to be gone, and so that means all the pressure's on Karen, and I'm out, and so I'm feeling that, and we're going down to Ikea because the day after I get home, we're hosting a party at our house for, like, 45, 50 folks, and we want to get this sectional couch for our basement that we're trying to, you know, get better. And so we got to go get this couch. I have to assemble it on that Sunday because I'm gone the next morning. And then, uh, so we got to get down to Ikea, get back. And, you know, Ikea is like you walk through the maze of like, you know, that's like a three-hour museum leg experience. And so, so we do all that. And we got to get back, assemble it, and then at 7 o'clock, we got a steering team meeting with the church that night to talk about big decisions around uh, the building stuff. And then the next morning, i got to wake up at 4.30 to go to the airport and catch my plane to California. So anybody see any potential problems with this day that we've got planned? <laughs> what amazes me about me is I'm surprised when things don't go my way. It's just a stunning thing about me that I'm surprised when I'm surprised. What in the world? So, of course, predictably, we get the IKEA furniture, we bring it home. Anybody ever assemble any IKEA stuff before? Um, So we get it. I'm putting on all the little bolts and stuff that we got to put the sections of the couch together. And I'm not sure where Karen's at, but I know that the boys are sitting there watching the football game on TV and eating like popcorn and not helping me pick up this giant couch and put it because you've got to like put them together, the little sections. And so. I'm doing this. I'm feeling the pressure. I got this meeting tonight. I got to wake up at 4.30 the next morning. Karen's going to be responsible all week. You know, there's big parties happening the next weekend, and I can't get the stupid thing to go onto the latch. And finally, I'm just like, ah! I just start yelling, like, at the boys. What are you guys doing, you know? My cat is out there, and I start yelling at my cat. Like, I'm just angry at everything. Ah, and I'm surprised that I'm surprised that things don't go my way. And it just made me think, here is the key for me, and it may not be the key for you. We're all wired differently. I'm telling you, if I don't spend the day, the early morning, thinking through my day, not just in my own little world, but with God, saying, God, walk me through my day, walk me through what's gonna happen today, and oh, by the way, God, just about every day is a trap. So, Point out to me where the trap is coming so that when it comes, I am ready to respond in the way that you want me to respond. For me, and this is is my November challenge for you. For me, this is the art. One of the things is just I need to journal. I need to wake up in the morning and I need to write this stuff down. And it's not, by the way, there is a difference between journaling and chronicling, okay? Uh, Chronicling is I went to Ikea and I did this, and then I went to the meeting, and then I went to bed. That's chronicling. Journaling is, God, I went to Ikea, I flipped out on my kids, and I couldn't get the thing together. I felt so angry that I yelled at my cat, and why? What is it about me? Where is the scaffolding missing that needs to be repaired? Lord, would you help me? I want to just give you a thought. If this is something that would help you, do this for the rest of this month in November. Wake up, think through your day, pray about your day, write a little note to God, 
ask God to help you think through that day. Notice in yourself what makes you mad and write about it. Notice in yourself thing that makes you afraid and write about it and talk to God about it. I'm telling you, if you do that, if you do that most days from now till the end of November, you will be a different person in the month of December, even if it's by this much. That's, that's one little challenge I throw out to you. Guys, it's part of what it means to reflect. Second idea that you can do this month, maybe this is maybe the journaling thing. You're like, eh, I'm not going to do that. Journaling thing, I'm telling you, see somebody. You got giants in your life, and every person in this room does. Go see somebody. Talk to a therapist. Talk to a spiritual director. Guys, some of us grew up in a day and age where maybe you were taught in your family of origin or just the culture at the time that seeing a therapist was for crazy people. What's crazy is to not. It's crazy to not process. It's crazy to not reflect on your life with someone that can help you see where God is moving. Man, I I just think this is true for guys. I'm going to talk to you guys for a second. Guys, if you don't reflect on your life with God, you will become a caveman. I, I'm serious. We, we just, we become emotionally stunted when we don't have some kind of interaction, reflection with God on our lives. That's exactly what happens to us. Women, I, I'll, I'll throw this out there. What I think happens to women when we don't process, and this is true, guys, too, we revert to our family of origin, we revert to becoming who we are in our family of origin. And now I know a lot of you women, you love your moms, and that's great. But man, I think that there might be something more for you that God wants to shape. And it happens when we reflect on who we are and we reflect with God. Third idea I'll throw out to you, take one of these personality tests, the Enneagram, great one. Take the disc. Take uh, the Myers-Briggs. Maybe you've done something before, but here's what I want you to do. Grab somebody, grab a friend that you trust or two friends that you trust. You all take it, go to lunch, and talk about it. And don't just say, oh, I'm an ENTJ. Isn't that cool? Go to lunch and say, oh, man, you know what? My guy that I met with told me that I'm a 2% on the compassion scale. What am I going to do to change that? Guys, reflect and invite other people into this. People that love you enough to speak in your heart with grace and say, let's grow together. What if you did that this month? Here's a fourth idea. Maybe you're a reader. I'm telling you, read this book. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scazzaro. I have not read a better book that basically just says, notice the emotions that come up on your life, process through those emotions, and help God help you change and build that scaffolding in your soul. What if you read that? There's just four little ideas. There's more we could talk about. Turn the radio off in your car this month and just pray while you drive. Something that helps you go, I'm reflecting on my life this month so that when the giant comes, and they come every day, man, it's like I'm not always going to just jump for the rock, but maybe I'm more prepared. Maybe I'm trusting God more in some way that I can pick up that rock and be ready. Because here's the bottom line. Jesus Christ absolutely loves you, lived for you, died for you, rose again for you, not so that we could be terrified and deeply shaken. 
Guys, the gospel is not just about a go-to-heaven card. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, starts now. And that is partially as your and my lives are transformed into the people that God wants us to be. That's part of the gospel. Man, I want to do that. I want to, I want to, I hope that I'm changing somehow into the kind of person that Jesus wants me to be. I'm going to give you one last thought. I had a mentor who told me this, and it just stuck with me. He loves to say this. He says, you know what? One of the most important things about the gospel, the good news of who God is, the greatest gift you can give to God is the person that you are becoming. He used to always just say this regularly, probably weekly when I'd see him. Jim, the greatest gift that you can give to God is the person that you are becoming. Start, start God building that scaffolding in us so that we are ready to grab that rock. Lord, we give you ourselves, our lives, we give you this church. We want to be the kind of church that's ready uh, when presented with things that catch us off guard. And the only way we can be a church like that is if we are people like that because um, that is the church, these people. So we uh, want to commit ourselves to you as we walk down this road this month of, of asking you to build in us the kind of people that you want us to be that are ready. God, we love you. Thank you that you, Jesus, have died for us. We pray, God, that um, we would become the kind of people that honor you and that love the people around us in a way that others might see Jesus as well. So we give you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said together.